Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey there, rugby fans. Welcome to another great episode of the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. This is a special episode as we were in planning to be able to do a live interview with J.P. Eloff, of course, from the NOLA Gold, uh, who would have stepped up onto the screen to be able to be put to the test in our run, pass, or kick interview as our usual format, a part of each Wednesday night. However, he had some technical difficulties, and we had to be able to postpone his, but it's given us here a great opportunity to be able to throw in a live rant. So allow me to be able to throw out the uh, introductions across the screen as we share those familiar faces of Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt, Scott, the big guy Ferrari himself, and joining us here to be able to tackle him for that title, we have John Fisser, the old Glory DC supporter, super fan himself. John, welcome to the show, my friend. Uh, thanks. Uh, you know, I'm no JP, but I'm just happy to be here. Love the work you guys are doing to uh, grow the game and keep fans like me informed. Well, you will do. You are the super sub on this occasion. And talking about J.P. Eloff, of course, a familiar favorite to the Nola Gold fans, but really a great uh, personality and ambassador for the sport. I'm pretty sure he would have taken the opportunity had he been given the chance in this format to be able to do so on the run, parcel kick interview. So in his absence, I'd like to be able to speak on behalf of, I believe, him and all the fans out there his teammates, and from us here on the Rugby Rant podcast show that we want to send our condolences out in regards to Sean Riley and the loss of a beautiful person, a man who gave so much to the sport, and the sport will continue to be able to, to enjoy the spirit that he leaves behind um, as he personified some of the greatest values of the sport that we know and love together. So in honor of that, we wanted to be able to send a special condolences, messages out to his family and friends, whether it be at home, at Nolan Gold for him, and across the nation and across the globe, you will be remembered, my friend, for your contribution to the game we all love so much. So... With that in mind, gentlemen, let's continue forward to be able to start our rugby rant. Oh. This is hold on, Ty. Hey, you know, I noticed that you know we're all wearing uh, some some pretty sweet swag here. I've got the the Utah hoodie, which is right. wonderful. It has some really cool, uh, uh, the, you know, symbolism with the pillars that the Utah Warriors bring forth. You've got a sweet. Uh, Houston Sabercats uh, hoodie. The work. Best one. I love this hoodie, by the way. This is really, really nice quality one. one Scott, of, of course, uh, he's got on the uh, rugby rant gear, right? Uh, the murdered out gear, which is on sale this month, a 20% discount from the rugbyshop.com. But, but I want to take note, our guest John is decked out too. He's got a, a just an awesome looking Adidas uh, drill top uh, OGC. OGDC drill top there. Had to get that one out. Say that 10 times fast. Uh, John, uh, where'd you get that uh, nice uh, piece of uh, fabric there? Well, you know, it's kind of kind of funny, like with the uh, – I, I got this in the first season, but I look forward to buying a lot of the OGDC gear as it comes available on uh, right. the rugby shop. Uh, you know, kind of anecdotally, back in March when everything was starting to kind of shut down and there's a lot of people trying to do charitable things, uh, the rugby shop posted up on my Facebook as recommended. They're doing this thing, buy rugby strong stuff, support mm -hmm. Feed America and a Canadian charity. So I'm like, I'm all in. I fill up my cart, you know, place my order. And then I waited and I was like, man, did, did I get scammed? Like a week goes <laughs> by, you know, like two weeks go by. And so I just sent a simple email like, hey, just curious, like, uh, you know, I placed an order. Is there any updates? And Ed, the I guess the owner uh, reached out to me through email with all the detail he could ever want. I was very happy. Uh, his customer service was way beyond like, I mean, I understood postal service in Canada and the U S were having challenges in April and, and everything like that. But he was extremely forthcoming, uh, very helpful, very informative and personally reached out. And uh, that kind of inspired me to get my hoodies. I got when y'all did the uh, MLR kick cancer campaign the MLR, right. you know, the rugby rant uh, gear you had in October. I've got a couple of those and 
you know, I just need Paladin to make a little bit bigger uh, room. That sound familiar? I think that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll tell you, Paladin 4XL is not. <laughs> nope. Yep. Yeah, that's brilliant, though. I love how you say that, though, because I, I, that's one of the great things is that when you can get that type of service that really makes it like the yeah. uh, experience come from beginning to end, they'll, like, ca carry you all the way through. Um. So talking about why we're here, gentlemen, um, let's talk about rugby, right? So we put it out, as we do usually, to the MLR Fan Zone group members on Facebook to be able to decide what we're going to chat about. And last week it came out tops, um, but we had the priority of the Dallas thing, which, by the way, a little bit of a tease. We got more information. Stick around. Halfway through this episode, we got some juicy news on the Dallas players and the situation thereby. But more to the point, we need to be able to talk about would North American rugby fans prefer a British and Irish Lions tour or the Barbarians tour to the U.S. and Canada? So the question was put out there, and we know the obvious conditions that that is hampering the plans and the execution of the tour that's scheduled for South Africa. We're not here to be able to debate that. It may very well find its way into the conversation at some point. But the crux of this question, this debate over here, is where these gentlemen have two minutes to be able to debate at hand which they think is better and why and what would provide the greatest entertainment for the North American rugby fan. Would it be the British and Irish Lions or would it be the Barbarians IRC? To take the floor with his two minutes, we hand it over to John. You know, I'll just go with one word first, and that's parody. And that's the like umbrella that I'll use to, to, to premise the conversation. Uh, as a fan, I would spend more money than I probably should to go see the Irish Lions come play in the U.S. <laughs> I don't care if they're playing my local high school, local college, the Naval Academy, I'd, I'd be all in. But in reality, looking for parity, I think back, if we could get the Barbarians to come, and if we could somehow tie that with the women's USA Eagles and the 2019 match they had in Glendale that came down to, what, a try in the last minute? Right. And uh, – that would be beneficial to the USA women's team in preps for the World Cup. Uh, it would be beneficial as it would be a, you know, you have the Barbarians, still a big name, obviously, in international rugby, lots of history. Uh, you know, it's kind of like a best of the best, you know, hodgepodge put together. So I think with the entertainment value you would get from the uh, Barbarians, it would be great. Uh, you know, it's not uh, uncommon to, to think that the British and Irish Lions would come over here and they would sell out tickets, right? That's, that's pretty oh, well sure. known, big names, lots of promotion. But when you think about TV and stadiums, do we want to have the British and Irish lines come and maybe we don't fill it, you know, maybe we don't see the TV viewership we'd like and the game's a total blowout. So maybe fans start leaving a little early. Um, I just think it'd be awesome to see the Barbars come in, uh, be a close competition, especially if we could tie it to the USA Eagles women's team after that close game in 2019. Right. So a couple of things that I enjoy there. Um, one, you spoke about, you know, the connection with or the parody. Let's talk about that. So the obvious thing is that when you talk about the optics, you, you mentioned uh, about filling the stadiums. Well, also, some people might very well say, do you really want to be able to invite a touring side of that caliber, uh, bringing together all four of the top uh, uh, nations in, in, in the UK uh, to be able to battle against you know, Rugby Canada or USA and see a 100-plus scoreline, is that great entertainment? Probably not, right? But it's not to say that that was what it would be. It's really just the incredible eyes on the U.S. and Canada. And, and the optics in that regard, or should I say the reach, could be very powerful. But as you so rightly pointed out, if it's reaching that audience and it's not looking great, what does that mean for the game, right? But I suppose if we look at the evidence that we've already seen, um, when was it Soldier Stadium, 60,000 seaters uh, sellout? Was it yeah. 2014, was it? 2014, yeah. 14. Right. So another great example. Then we had um, – uh, in, what was the other, the, the, the Maori game? Well. So there are examples we could draw upon that has that international viewership. Um, you know, some of those points will probably pop up for, for Rob and Scott. So let's hand it over to Scott next to be able to hear what he has to say. All right, let's get hot, baby. So I, well, I do think uh, the British and Irons, uh, Irish Lions would be great matches, a great side to come here and, and tour. Um, I think you would have to do, in my opinion, if you're doing British and Irish Lions, 
Um, you would have to do a match. You it would be British Irish Irish Lions uh, versus uh, the Eagles. Sorry, I'm all over the place. On the East Coast, then the next week it's on the Canadian East Coast, so they play Rugby Canada, and then they go wow. to the West Coast the the week after that, and then go to the BC in Canada the week after that. So it would actually be a four week tour because you want to have that uh, each coast have their own little 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 match in Rugby Canada and Team USA. And right. that way you would have a lot of the Lions fans can then say, hey, we went to the USA match. It gives them an opportunity to go see the Canadian match and it gives them an opportunity to go visit the West Coast or the East Coast. They have a lot of options they want it. But what I would want to see, the Barbarians match. I think the Barbarians match is interesting because as John said, it's parody. But the other thing is, I wonder how many Americans are going to pick for that team if they know they're going to come here and tour. So I wonder if you're going to see guys that aren't on Team USA, but they're on the Babas, and now they're playing against other guys, you know, or you know t- their previous teammates, or maybe they give somebody a uh, a shot that that hasn't reached an Eagles cap yet, or only has a couple Eagles caps. So I wonder what potential that has as as a team, that Babas team coming around. I personally would like to see the Babas. You kind of get a little more uh, eclectic of a team. You get right. uh, France, you get, you know, whoever, you get a bunch of people who are around. It's nice to see. Don't get me wrong. You know, you guys know I'm a Saracens fan, so I love my, my British and Irish uh, rugby, but I think the Babas for me personally gives it a little more eclectic piece and the British and Irish Lions tour would have to be a very bigger, you know, be a bigger tour. So right. I think you have to weigh the, weigh the options on that. So, you know, a couple of things I love about that. First off, when you look at the differences in gameplay and style between the British and Irish Lions who are steeped in tradition, not to say that the Barbarians isn't, but, you know, the British and Irish Lions go back as far as, I believe I wrote down the notes here, 1888 was the first tour on record. At the time was not referred to as the British and Irish Lions, but it was more so of an English team that had some other players of uh, Ireland and Scotland. At that time, it was most likely Scotland. I believe it was six players. Nevertheless, they only became known as the British and Irish Lions once they came to South Africa. And coincidentally, you know, we're going to claim this as ours. We gave them the name, right? Why? Because it was the the Lions who would come over, Richard the Lionheart, and so the name kind of grew synonymously across the, the, the globe. The barbarians themselves also have great tradition, 1890. What's the difference between them? Well, British and Irish lines are, are steeped in tradition. They follow that standard stock format, uh, very structured gameplay, hard nose driven. If you're a purist in rugby, you love the British and Irish Lions tour because it is a battle. The scoreline might not be very high, but it has been a colossal battle, right? But if you look at the opposite of that with the Barbarians, it's like watching the French like back in the 90s. Like it's about what team rocked up on the day, you know? (laughs) And and just just to give Karen Gasparino a shout out, she gave me a little slap on the wrist because I forgot to mention on that Bob's team, you could have USA Eagles and Rugby Canada players. (laughs) Of course. Yes, absolutely. And that is the beauty of the point that you brought out. And I'm glad that you you, you circled back around to it, is that with the Barbarians being somewhat of a select side, you really can have free reign of what available player is able to join you, wants to participate. Plus, as you so rightly pointed out, Scott, which I think was a great point, it's far less of a commitment in a scheduling than it would be if it was a British and Irish Lions tour. So you could pick a, very simply, you could pick an East Coast location, West Coast location in both the US and Canada and have those four games sorted and you could be entertained at every single one of those games. So great points. Let's hand it over to Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt to see what you got, my friend. Well, you stole all my points, Ty, so I'm a little disappointed, but I will point so out. So I get that, the points then? Yeah, you get the point. <laughs> I will point out that Chicago has hosted the three biggest turnouts for rugby matches in the United States. So right. ding. Um, but no, I the, to the point, uh, I think they're very different entities, right? The Babas versus uh, the the Lions, and we pointed that out. Uh, let me just illustrate, though. One of the things that makes the the Lions tour so incredible is the midweek games, right? Those are some of the games that we, we of course, look look forward to the the test matches, right? Those aren't going to be very competitive. And I apologize to my USA Eagle friends and and Rugby Canada friends, um, but they just won't be that competitive. Uh, But setting that aside, 
Um, neither will the midweek matches, but those are the really enjoyable matches that you, you come to see. I mean, you know, I watched my Hurricanes play the midweek uh, Lions match. I think my Hurricanes won or it was a really close battle. And so those are the fun things to watch uh, and and see who gets selected out of those midweek matches right. to then turn up uh, for uh, the big test matches. Now, I do think the Baba setup is a lot more conducive to the North American environment. First of all, you guys have talked about the flexibility and roster. You know, I'm going to be specific. Bring Chris Wiles into the Babas. Bring Blaine yeah. Scully into the Babas, right? They're playing some of their old mates. Bring DTH into it, right? Uh, Josh Furno. Um, John Sergio, Quill. John Quill. You know, Sergio Parise. Sprinkle in some of those North American players. Bring in a few of those English and Irish guys who are the big names and let them do what the Barbarians do, which is come here, have a fun tour, enjoy the things that they want to enjoy. Um, you don't have to have the pressure of the midweek matches, and you can do USA, you can do an MLR all-star team, and you can do a Rugby Canada team, and that would be an outstanding and fun tour appropriate for North America. Excellent points. I love your passion, but you also went over your time. <laughs> Jeez, baby. Hey, I got to get a chance to win a few. But your passion yeah, but what, what, your there, Rob, was, was superb, man. Um, y- there were so many points. So we're like almost like you were firing them from a machine gun. I loved it, right? So they came hard and fast. But let's let's rewind a little bit. So when you spoke about those midweek games, I love that. In fact, for me personally, having been in South Africa and, and previously seen and observed the 97 tour, uh, so subsequently the tour came about later. In fact, it's kind of coincidental that every time, you know, it is scheduled two years prior because they do it in four-year uh, windows. Whenever they visit South Africa, we happen to be the world champions, right? Just saying. <laughs> but Same. what it does do is it has incredible TV rights, though, right? Yep. And because you are doing those midweek games, you got more people watching, you got more exposure, and it's more exciting rugby, arguably so, because that is your David and Goliath matchups that I enjoyed watching most when you get to be able to see a team that is not even in the Premier League of the Curry Cup in South Africa, like the Bullen Cavaliers back in 97, where they challenged the British and Irish Lions and basically put them toe-to-toe for like the 79 minutes and lost it right at the end, which is a team that didn't even make, wouldn't even make the, 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 the second side of like your Premier Division side just managed to pull it off. And those are the tales that the British and Irish Lions tours can produce. But in the same vein, if you had to take a bunch of the greatest athletes you have in your country and sprinkle them in with the Barbarian side and give them the ball and just tell them to run and keep it alive, it's going to probably be the most exciting rugby game you could watch. So they both have merits. Gentlemen, what is your thoughts? And I'll hand it actually first to to John. When you think purely about what would further the spectators' uh, uh, enjoyment of the game here in the U.S. and what would further the game between British and Irish Lions having a tour or the Barbarians? You know, I think first – you know, obviously the, the name draw on the British Irish Lions and the uh, Barbarians would bring a lot. But I think bringing new fans to the game, they're going to want to see a lot of action. You know, I, I personally love the hard hitting, no kick and stuff. But to just give them the ball and run style that the Barbarians games would bring, I think that would bring maybe an easier translation to bring a buddy or a family member to a, a Bob Oz right. game and be like, hey. And then they'll be like, this is great. This is just a fun atmosphere. No pressure. No, like, you know. 100-year history of uh, playing New Zealand and South Africa and Australia and, you know, tying right. New Zealand in 2017. It'd just be fun. And I think that would be something that would help bring new people to it uh, that would help them maybe say, I want to do more of this, which would then turn to more MLR games in college and so forth. I, I believe you're right. I believe, you know, the buzzword that personifies what rugby has turned into is rugby-tainment, Right. And uh, right. probably Barbarians is the more suited brand of rugby to that to fit that mold. Would you agree, Scott? Yeah, definitely. I think Bob has opened it up and they just kind of let it rip almost schoolyard style. The other thing is what, what me and Rob missed talking about was um, not only Team USA players, but what MLR players might be selected to the Babas. Who For knows? Sure. If in in four in two or three years from now, maybe Chris Robshaw is done with his MLR career and maybe he's coaching at the Chicago 
whatever's, and they say, hey, you want to play a couple matches on a, Bar- a Barbarian Select side in North America? And now we got Chris Robshaw playing, who is in the MLR. Maybe, you know, they call up Chris Matina or Mike Petrie to come back on one of those game, uh, matches. Right. So, I mean, I think you can sprinkle in so many people that are North American related and still have the same entertainment value that you would when, when we watch them in other places. So I think that's the biggest draw, and it, it speaks to John's point about if you bring a buddy, it's fun, and you can say, oh, yeah. You know, I watched Chris Matina for two years at Rooney. He was a great, he was a great guy. Oh, I've never taken you to a Rooney match. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, you know, yeah, Rob can do it for, for Nola. I mean, it could, you can really bring in some people. And I think the television values there, I think, you know, bringing casual fans are there. And I think that's how you fill up a stadium that might have 60,000 people. It might be, you know, 45,000 diehards and then bring in one of your friends who this is their first rugby experience and you're going to have a ton of fun. Rob? Thoughts? And just to build on that, I think that that would be the value in in having like a DTH, a Sergi, uh, not perhaps uh, Parise, but, you know, somebody like Wiles, um, you know, uh, uh, some other guys that have been in the Inferno, been in the MLR or are currently in the MLR, they're in the Barbarian side, and then you promote them as MLR players so mm-hmm. that uh, – when you go to the MLR season, it feels feeds real nicely into right. the fact that we we're we're promoting MLR branded players and preparing for a big MLR season. And let's not uh, exclude the fact that we have a host of and will continue to have a, a number of internationals, uh, Matthew Bustero, Ma Nanus, who might be available at that time too. That are those international players, as you so rightly pointed out, like right. Robshaw, will continue having that tradition, and they will be available too. So you're drawing from from audiences overseas with that interest, and you're kind of allowing that spinoff to fall on top of the MLR as well, if you position it correctly. And that's where those midweek games for the um, British and Irish Lions could come into play. Because imagine the British and Irish Lions could compete against the San Diego Legion or the Seattle Seawolves and compete. Mm. And there is some parity because, remember, in those midweek games, all of those British and Irish Lions contests in the midweek are competing to get that test spot, right? So it's the younger players, the guys that are trying to earn their stripes, so to speak, right? So that's also what makes it exciting rugby. But there certainly is a lot of great interest when it comes to this particular point. Maybe you, as a fan of the rugby rank, can tell us which one you think might be best as a spectator or to bring a friend to a game. What do you think might help grow the brand in rugby more so? Would it be the Barbarians? Or would it be the Lions? You can comment below and let us know what you think. And Scott Ferraro will drop that button screen. And we thank you for for the opportunity to chat about that one, boys. I'm not sure who may have won that round, but I can tell you that Rob is behind with his yellow card. Uh, (laughs) Ty, real quick, real quick, I want to give a shout uh, to uh, men's and women's rugby clubs at San Jose State from the big guy. Yeah, okay. So – in talking about uh, uh, shout-outs and, and, and a moment in between the two segments over here, uh, I believe you have a message you want to be able to share from one of our sponsors, Scott. So why don't we hand it over to you before we jump into the next segment to be able to talk about the San Diego Legion move of the home games to Vegas. But the floor is yours, Scott. So it's that time, everybody. It's Manscaped that time. So Valentine's Day is upon us, everybody. Make sure you're ready for whatever – you know, is going to happen at, at Valentine's Day night. Um, our friends at Manscaped, the global leaders in men's and women's below the belt grooming, are here to tell you you need to use the best tools for the job so you can be ready for anything on that special day. Remember, 2 million people are already trusting Manscaped products to groom and make sure you're one of them. You know, we've all had issues down there where, you know, you, you have the nicks and the cuts, and that's something that that with the Manscaped products you don't get. Um, your significant other can't think of what to get you this year. Tell them to get the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0. It gives them gives you the full array of products that Manscaped has to offer. Keeps you looking nice, smelling nice, and feeling nice. The Perfect Package 3.0 is led by the uh, revolutionary third-generation lawnmower 3.0 trimmer, which has advanced skin-safe technology and features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. It's also waterproof, which prevents a mess in the bathroom floor or in the sink, especially when it's time you know, for Cupid to shoot his arrow on uh, <laughs> February 14th. So uh, also included in that, that package, you get the um, uh, crop preserver and crop reviver, 
these products keep our boys from sweating and smelling and stinking. You know, we use deodorant on, you know, other parts of our body. Why not use it on the smelliest part of our body? Um, it also comes with a pair of Manscaped boxers that'll keep your junk feeling fresh all day. It has that anti-chafing technology. So if you're out there doing yard work or you're hitting the gym real hard, you know, you really won't get that, that rash that happens. They're really comfy boxers. I know us three at the Rugby Rant wear them constantly because they're awesome. Um, so to complete your grooming game, they also have the new refined cologne, a signature scent by Manscaped. It's actually something I put in my repertoire from work. Um, so I swap my colognes every so often, and I just start using the Manscaped uh, refined cologne. It's awesome. My wife loves it. Um, this is the perfect package for you. Get 20% off of free shipping when you use the code RugbyRant at Manscaped.com. Again, you get Free shipping and 20% off when you use the code RugbyRant at Manscaped.com. Your buddies down there will thank you. Hey, and, and just so you know, big guy, like when you get to be my age, uh, you know, downstairs groomings, you know, uh, women of an older sort, you know, it's not as much appreciated. But you know what they do appreciate? They appreciate the wee whacker, right? Because you start to get hair where you don't want it and you lose hair where you do want it. And so, <laughs> That's a product that There's I a lesson for life. It's it's true. It's true. Uh, so, you know, I like the weed whacker because I can, I can clean those areas that I'm not looking for hair to grow around the nose, around the ears. It's real important for us old guys. So it works for the young, works for the old. Manscaped is your place to get all of your grooming needs. You know, it, I don't know, how long does it take you, Scott, to craft those emails? And by the way, I love that, that when Cupid has to shoot his yeah. hammer. <laughs> I mean... Listen, I, I I did I did a lot of writing when I was in high school and college. Uh, I wrote for the newspaper uh, for four for eight years if you count high school. So I mean I, I'm I'm pretty decent at writing. And to be honest, yeah, but I just think you're extremely awesome. passionate and, about this topic, and it comes across. Well, here's the thing, you know, when I when I when I get a guy like Lerome White who's watching from the AGs, shout out to Lerome, he's laughing because he's he's heard these before. I think he might have been part of one. Uh, when he was on, so catch his episode. It was a great RPK. I love Lerome. And then you get a guy like this, uh, Adam Thompson here, who who it's his first time tuning in, and he tuned in halfway through with the man's. He seemed very confused. He definitely loved it. It definitely got him laughing. And this is why I do them. They're they're funny, but you know what? The products right. work. Rob's right. The the weed whacker works. The the lawnmower 3.0 works. The friggin' cologne it smells really good. Right. My wife commented the other day, like, "Oh, you changed up your cologne," and I was like, "Yes, I did." She was like, "It smells wow, great." Wow, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about all that, Ty. I'm trying to keep it, you know, PG thirteen here, but you know. So Rob sold so me on the ear trimmer. Yeah. <laughs> so a final reminder for those that have been watching the Manscaped. Go and check them out online, manscaped.com. Use the code RugbyRant for 20% off plus free shipping. Rob and Scott, thank you for your contribution. <laughs> and it has always been entertaining and it has promised to be so again. Well, let's draw our attention to the real reason that we're here is, of course, rugby. And rugby in North America is an interesting landscape as it stands, like most of the world, in the middle of a pandemic. But what do we do? And just ahead of the and on the horizon, we've got the start of the season come March 20th. I mean, boys, it seems not so long ago that we were debating whether it should be an April start. Now we're, we're looking at, at, you know, when would it ever be if we don't start now, right? So sometimes you just got to be creative and, and innovation is key to keeping the game alive. And the league is definitely pivoting. And one of those great examples is San Diego Legion, who have made, recently made the announcement that they're going to be moving their home games under the restrictions of the California uh, uh, policies that have been implemented moving into Vegas. So we're here to be able to talk a little bit more about that. We'll hand it over to Rob Hammerschmidt to be able to tell us what he thinks with his opening rant and his two minutes start now. So first of all, let me just uh, throw a shout out to all the San Diego Legion fans out there. Some people who are a little worried that San Diego will Legion will become the Las Vegas Legion. I don't think that has a chance of happening. Non-COVID times, San Diego is a far more attractive place to play and and that's for sure. So no worries about that. This is a temporary thing. And the idea is for the Legion to actually be able to have fans. Look, the, the fact is five hours away. So fans can drive out there, catch a game, maybe stay the night, and then come back the next day. I know it's a sacrifice, but the question is, would you rather be able to see a couple games a year 
this year or none at all. And I think left with those two propositions, you'd rather see a couple of games versus none at all. I'm flying down to NOLA. I'm going down to NOLA twice, 900 miles, guys, to see a game because I'm a fan, right? So um, I think you know five hours is much less a sacrifice. Um, the one thing I would say is, the organization, San Diego, can organize uh, fan buses, right? How great would it be? Fan bus, you pay $100, uh, $150, you get a fan bus, you get a, a hotel, and then you get like there's five kegs on the bus on the way there, right? And then you go see a game, you enjoy a game, and then you come back the next day and enjoy yourself in Vegas. Uh, and don't forget, I think, uh, let's look at the silver lining. It's going to be cost effective for teams that are coming in. little cheaper flight. And certainly I would think they'd be able to negotiate a cheaper hotel cost because of um, Vegas's plethora of hotels to choose from. So there we go. I yield my time to the chair and let uh, that be a lesson that I should get some of that back from the yellow card. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Oh, by the way, ref, I showed you I did a shoulder, uh, shoulder charge on the tackle before, but I completely rep on this one. So that'll even yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry for that high tackle, but the last one was good. That's how Owen Farrell does it. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Rob, some great opening points there. First off, again, I love the fact that you addressed that uh, Legion fans don't need to panic, right? This nope. is not the permanent relocation of the Legion. In fact, it is just an innovation that allows them to be able to host home games um, in the most reasonable manner. Because in this day and age, we got to think outside the box and I don't think that they will be alone. In fact, I'm not going to touch on that too much because I believe the gentleman on screen might very well talk about that. But what I do like about San Diego Legion, not only did they already have in mind, how, well, you know, they must have been looking at options because think of how quick their pivot was, right? Yeah. So you're thinking, okay, we need to be able to find a new place to be able to play. Done. All right, what do we do if people can't actually end up uh, attending those games? And what if they've already paid for their season ticket? Oh, well, by the way, an email went out acknowledging that all the founding members and the Centurion members have the ability to be able to get a refund on their tickets that they paid should they not wish to participate in those home games. So they're saying, hey, guys, we're moving. We're not holding you your, your ticket money hostage here, right? We're giving you the opportunity to continue enjoying your rugby in the best way that we can see how. But at the same time, we understand your life might not allow for that to happen, that you can travel there. If that's the case, here's an alternate for you, right? So I love that they had these things in place. And by the way, that email was released the same day the announcement was made. So they were locked and loaded and prepared and followed through the organization itself well thought out, well executed, good points. Let's hand it over to Scott. So as Muhammad said, our buddy Muhammad, I put it on screen, uh, and Queen said, the show must go on, right? Um, right. And I think that this is a, a great pivot for San Diego. I do think it kind of puts you know, some of their fans in the lurch because maybe they don't have the opportunity to travel. That's the only thing that sucks about it. Um, but I do, I do have to say, you know, last year they did get four home games. Uh, you know, three teams did not get any home matches. No, I'm serious. You know, so for me, that. for me as a Rooney fan, I'm just going to have to deal with the fact that I'm not going to be able to go to home matches. And for two years now, I haven't been able to. And you know what? It's okay for me. That's that's how I how I deal with it. But it might not be for other people, and I understand that. But I think it's a good pivot. I think it's a place where they can get it in a, in a stadium where they can social distance properly. They can figure out a COVID procedure. They can figure out all those things that that might not be able to happen in their home state. So. Now I'm seeing, you know, they're, they had, they obviously had this planned. It's something that obviously Rooney's thinking about. It's something that Toronto's thinking about. So I'm wondering if Toronto is, is thinking about maybe going in with them. Although as we talked with the Toronto fans like Doug and like Karen, it would still be a pain in the butt to go to all those East coast matches, but I mean, at least they're in the country. Um, so I can see maybe somebody piggybacking and, you know, maybe you can share some of the expenses of the field uh, and that, and that, um, and, and maybe you could still have some home fans depending on the travel. So I can see how that works. Um, I think it's a good idea. I think they executed it well. They thought about it. They executed it. They executed the communication and that has not happened with a bunch of teams in other areas. So for me, I think it's a good choice. Excellent. Yeah. So, you know, a couple of things that you, that you drew attention to there is that, Yes, Rooney is in a similar position, whereas there's a no play conditions, pandemic is still looms. Uh, they haven't sold any uh, season tickets because they made that choice. Um, so what do they do? 
Is it an option for them? Absolutely. Is this perhaps a blueprint for what other teams could do, even if it's not Vegas, but they could find another suitable location? And in the case of Toronto, we already know that Bill Webb has said in several interviews, no matter what, their goal is just to be able to play rugby. And if the goal is is to do so, you also need to do so while being as cost-effective as possible. So as Scott pointed out, what a great way to be able to piggyback uh, an exercise like this where you can reduce costs for both those franchises and leverage the, the rugby community around them um, and, of course, be able to play games. Now, it is still yet to be decided whether they'll be hosting fans or not, but if they can, you are twice as likely to be able to draw an audience when you have double headers with teams like Toronto or Rooney and, of course, San Diego Legion. So these all should be, in our minds, considered as options. Would you agree with that, Scott? Yeah, uh, I'll take that as a no. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. As people know, I I, I do the rant, but I also do you know the the production. So I'm okay, you just cut yourself and, off. Yeah, I cut myself <laughs> off. I meant to hit that. I meant to hit the mute button back off. But yeah, no, Tommy I agree. Was perfect. Hey, yeah, be no, careful I, with that lawnmower, okay? Yeah, exactly. I heard it's it. Like comedy is all about the timing and delivery, and yours is perfect. I I, I it's I I heard it in the background. I had to go turn it off. But no, I think you're right, and I think I agree with Daryl. Um, avoid Sam Boyd at all costs if you can. <laughs> I mean, we've actually joked about that. You know, experience, it's right? It's really not a great place for Rooney, so you definitely don't want to see that. But let's swing it back over to uh, to our final ranter over here. Remember, he's here to be able to try and take these boys off their perch as he battles it out to be the winner of this round. Let's hand it over to John. Uh, last time I used one word, I'll use one word. Here's an umbrella. I'll say leadership. So when I think of, uh, you know, everybody's going through the COVID thing, right? And instantly teams like the Arrows with Bill Webb and his forward thinking and transparency and obviously closer home to OGDC, right? So everybody's facing similar circumstances and everybody wants to put a product on the field that's safe, both for fans, players and staff, uh, that's, that's quality and entertaining. So, you know, these teams that I mentioned, you know, the Arrows, San Diego and obviously OGDC, were forward thinking months ago and, and they have contingency plans in place. You know, they have partnerships and friendships and relationships they've been developing all out of that desire to put on a safe quality product during the times we're in, uh, you know, and five hours, uh, you know, I'm not the only one at OGDC that was driving four plus hours each way uh, to a game. And I'm a season ticket holder, Rob, you're flying, you know, before OGDC came along, I contemplated being an Ola fan. I'm from Tennessee you know, I've got a lot of miles with American Airlines, more than willing to hop on a plane. Uh, and I understand that not everybody's like that. So that's where I think the other half of the leadership comes in. Right. So it's not just people like us that are that are, you know, kind of going all in uh, where we can. And I'm blessed to be able to do so. But they are communicating the timing of their communications, the transparency of their communications, the you know, the whole way they communicate the closing of the season at D.C., was just absolutely transparent thinking about the players, the fans, uh, way they promoted Serga Field was a partnership they had with DC United. And all of it's just out of that premise to deliver a quality safe product. And, you know, it's there's a lot of fans driving and the fans that aren't, there's going to be ways for them to enjoy the games via Facebook or some other streaming service. Right. So I cut out or somebody or you all cut out, but uh, I don't know if you went over your time, but I think it was valuable conversation. Um, so, oh, look at that. See, four seconds left. Look at that. Jeez. Man, I hate it when they come with their own tools. Um, <laughs> My wife will tell you I'll talk the ears off a brick wall, so I have to have the time or I'll get the cheese. Oh, exactly. So, uh, so now, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I got to I got to so now Rob goes, well, I hit him I hit him high the first tackle, but I hit him fine the second tackle. And you're just going to check John Visser's watch instead of your own to figure out what the time was. <laughs> what is the world coming to? And get me Nigel Owens here now because this is BS. This is a TJ Perinara move right there. TJ's the guy that would wear the watch and say, hey, <laughs> yeah, we got more time, sir. We got more time. Mike Petri. <laughs> so nevertheless, the, the, the refereeing, the officiating of this match might be – Inconsistent to say the least. Must be a French referee. Um, but nevertheless, uh, let's let's go back to what some of uh, John had mentioned. Is that yeah? I mean, look, it's not uncommon for for fans of the game to be forced to be able to do four hours on a travel, right? 
Uh, and what we do as fans is, is really unparalleled in, in comparison to other professional sports in the U.S. and, and can, Canadian landscapes, right? Because rugby fans are passionate. We might be a small, but we're definitely a mighty audience. And me, I don't even have a nearby team, right? Likewise for, for, for Scott, but he's, he's, he's de- sorry, for, uh, for, uh, for Rob, should I say. But also I got your tickets I, anytime I, you want to come to D.C. Right. Well, well I'm, I'm, you two, three-hour travels each way, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm in the John Visser boat. It's, it's two to three hours depending on traffic for me. Right. So fans will do this when they know that it is something they're passionate about. And that is a credit to, to, to rugby fans across the globe, not only here in the U.S., that we do extra, go that extra mile. The question is, do you think that people will be able to do that in the current times? Um, I mean, yes, we hope so, but we don't even know what the conditions will be at the time when the season starts. A lot of variables in place. One of those variables, I'd like to be able to go around the table and ask you gentlemen, who do you think's next that has to be able to consider a move like this? Because, well, I mean, we know that there's another team in L.A. We know that there's restraints coming across the board for all different districts across the U.S. So let's start this this question uh, with Rob answering. Well, I think automatically think L.A., Toronto. We haven't heard anything from New England or Utah as to what they, they might do. Uh, and I only mention those over like Atlanta and NOLA simply because, you know, we know that those states in the south are a little bit um, – more likely to allow fans in the stands. Um, so those are the teams that come to mind. And most certainly I think number one is L.A., obviously, because they're going to be under the same restrictions that uh, that San Diego is going to be, obviously, because, you know, it's it's a more densely packed area or whatnot. Um, I thought it was interesting Sam Upman, you know, asked what teams have their, you know, their stuff together. Um, I, I want to be cautionary here because things are changing so rapidly and yep. things are – um, such in flux that teams are almost caught in a mode where they have to be, I mean, they can, they can do some things initially like what we're seeing out of, uh, out of um, uh, San Diego and out of Rooney, but you know, other teams are having to respond a little bit more dynamically. So I think we got to give them the benefit of the doubt here to some degree. Hopefully they're forward thinking like uh, Bill Webb is and they have plans A through Z. Well, I'm going to circle back around to something that I believe it was something that John actually said is the transparency that Bill Webb has had with his his fans, right? And yeah. you know, he's always been one of those vocal owners, which which I know we on the show and fans, of course, enjoy because he has said, "Look, we're, we're thinking about this, we're thinking about that." You know, they're formulating plans. He's they're, they're not offering any conclusive uh, promises or anything, but you can certainly tell that their intention is to play rugby, no matter what it will look like. And I think that the will is definitely there, but as you so rightly pointed out, Rob, it's that it's such a fluid state of, of, of what's going on and it's constantly evolving. When you think that you've hit the right answer, then something changes and, you know, derails your entire thought process. So, you know, it's going to be an interesting few weeks as we lead up, but, you know, to let everybody know who might not already realize uh, that teams are to assemble at the beginning of February. I mean, we're, it's right on our doorstep, right? Um, and they're supposed to be practicing in in person. Now they may do some pod organizations, you know, what they've learned from other professional leagues across the globe to kind of mitigate some of the risk. And March 20th isn't that far away, gentlemen. No. Scott, um, I wanted to be able to throw it over to you. I mean, you're obviously close to to, to Rooney, very close to them. What do you think some of the, the real options could be for them? Well, I'd, I'd like to point out again, you said, tell tell us the one team you think is going to move next, and Rob named like right. four figure teams. Right. And then he just focused on L.A. after, he, after he burned so the top. Know, he kind of took it there you go. After he burned, after he burned the good again, topic. You're going to go point out everybody else's mistakes. Yeah. You're like that he's kid in burn, class. He's going to burn the good topics. Hey, teacher, Robin's you didn't give us any homework. Can you give us some homework, please? Since Rob is going to do everything off the book, this is where I'm going to go off the book. I'm going to tell you a team that's not going to Yeah, John, just enjoy the show. Get some popcorn. I'm going to go I'm going to go off the script, and I'm going to tell you a team that's not going to move, and I'm going to disagree with Karen, who I just had up on the screen before. I don't think Bruni's going to move. Um, the way that the, that it's spelled out for uh, New York people in New York, you can go to adjacent. Um, um, you can go to adjacent states, states that connect to New York, but you then when if you don't, you have to come back and quarantine for two weeks, or you have to get a COVID test. But let's let's use for example New England. Uh, if Rooney goes to New England as a fan, 
I can go to New I can go to Massachusetts, right? Because it connects to New York. But Massachusetts won't allow me in there unless I show them a, a COVID test. So now what sense does it make for Rooney to move anywhere else if as a New York fan, it's still going to be a hassle for me to go. So I think Rooney's just going to have to play the game where they're going to go without fans, and that's okay. Um, so I, honestly, I don't think Rooney is on that list. Right. So what do you say to to? I mean, as you pointed out, if you're a fan and you're looking to be able to travel between states, and you've got these restrictions and you've got these obstacles, what about the teams that are going to have to be traveling from state to state? Well, it's different when you're doing when you're working from state to state, those restrictions are different. I mean, obviously, you know, now with COVID tests being, um, having access to COVID tests, rapid tests and the regular SARS, which is gives you the four day more accurate test. You can test your guys. And then that's, that's the way I think they're going to do it. And I think we're going to find out on Friday because supposedly the new schedule is dropping. Supposedly, right? Yeah. So we'll see when the new schedule drops. Maybe there's some spaces in between there. Maybe we have a couple extra bye weeks. Maybe things get moved around enough. Maybe they do a, you know, maybe Toronto has all their, you know, away games up front again. Who knows? So I think we have to wait and see what the schedule looks like. And then we can maybe perceive what's going to be going on for each team. Right. John, I want to be able to throw it out to you. So something that fans have shared as a possible option in their mind is, well, why isn't the MLR considering a bubble? What are your thoughts in, in, in that regard as the MLR might be able to apply some of these techniques that work well for other professional sports leagues in the U.S.? I think bubbles work well in things like uh, the rugby championship this year, right, with Argentina, New Zealand, and uh, sadly, South Africa wasn't able to come in Australia. Uh, but I think when we're looking at MLR and bubbles uh, in the U.S. that the, maybe the NBA tried, they, they had a lot of trouble not just controlling them, but uh, it was just hard mental health wise on like families being away from people. But I think one of the biggest things that draws is financials, right? Like, so if we don't have a CBS, NBC, ABC, ESPN, whoever that's putting millions of dollars to the MLR to televise games, how are teams going to make revenue? So revenue is through gate, right? People coming through the gate. So I think if you have a bubble, uh, and, a, and any state's going to have restriction on number of fans. So you're, you're looking at each team sharing the small sliver of the same pie versus if you're not playing in a bubble and like do things like Scott's talking about testing, uh, you know, different schedule arrangements and things of that nature. Uh, I think we're going to see a hybrid of it. We're going to see a couple teams maybe in the end land on clustering together for financial reasons. And then we're going to have other teams. Uh, the obvious ones, I think, you know, being Houston, uh, and the other Texas team, the Austin, NOLA, you know, all those were a couple hour drive of each other, you know, so it's not going right. to be real hard. But when you're talking about high population densities, you know, you may end with the arrows, travel restrictions, you may see a small bubble of two to three teams, but as a whole, I don't think it would work. Well, and don't and forget the biggest challenge of the bubble. The, the biggest challenge of the bubble is the fact that these guys got to have employment outside of exactly. what they're doing. Exactly. Bingo. Right? Exactly. And, and, and you could actually here's the throw this on top of that is that if you do get positive tests, obviously those guys are going to have to quarantine. Yep. So you're going to need almost like a deeper pool of players to draw from potentially to work in if you do have a few guys that come down with a positive and, test. And you're, you're talking about drawing from that pool when we – didn't have a club season and, and teams didn't have a college season either. So what does that pool look like if, if they haven't been practicing with you that often? So I wonder, I wonder what the competition is going to look like if we start hitting those cases where we have to have guys sit out due to COVID, but Rob hit it on the head. I was, I was going to interrupt John in his, in his point to say most MLR players have a, have, have employment outside of the MLR. So they can't bubble if, yep. I mean, unless they're doing it from home, but you know, some people can't like me, I'm an essential worker. I have to do it. In, in the place I work at. So if I was on Rooney, it couldn't work for me if we decided to bubble down in DC. So I think the biggest challenge is, is, is isn't even the revenue portion. It's just, you can't do it because the players can't do it. Right. So we can agree that it's not a feasible option for the MLR. And we've spoken about this in different versions, um, you know, through various different debates going back a couple of months now. But the fact still remains, the biggest obstacle is that not every player is entirely professional. He may do it as a profession, but it's not his only profession. Right. So that there is one key difference between our sport and every other sport, at least when it comes to the U.S. Uh, and, and Canada. 
So it's not really feasible, but I do like the point that John brought up is that you might see a hybrid. You might see a few teams cluster together. It might not necessarily be a bubble and it might not be the motivation is to be able to isolate these players, but it is definitely going to have an upside when they can reduce their costs, reduce their travel and all of these factors that go associated to it. One great example would be the connection that sits between Austin and LA having the same owner. So yeah. what is it that that you know would stop them from leveraging some of the the you know the assets that they have in Austin where Robert pointed out teams further south are perhaps more likely to be able to have games where where fans are uh, Rob what do you say to people who say that it seems like a logical fit to have LA move down to Austin Well I mean quite frankly they were going to play in a 90,000 seat stadium in LA so <laughs> I think you know feasibly you know feasibly it was going to be pretty expensive to actually play there in the first year and then not have fans but I still think you got the big problem of bringing guys in um especially a lot of uh, uh guys from um Australia who are going to be leaving their family in LA who have settled and then they're going to have to move for 4 or 5 months um or at least spend some of the time in Austin, I think it's pretty tough to do. It's a pretty tough ask, especially for players, families who have just arrived in these shores that have young kids. You know, uh, I think uh, about Stephen Hoyle's assistant coach. He has a young family. Is his wife going to want him to go away for two or three months at a crack um, and say, I'll be back later on. I'm going to be in Austin. It's a pretty tough ask of those guys and those families. Huge sacrifice. Right. Um, but that's the thing. How many sacrifices have to be made to be able to keep this league going? Because we have to be able to ask ourselves, can the league afford not to be able to start? Or worse, can they afford to start and have to stop halfway? What are your thoughts there, Scott? Well, I mean, obviously starting and then stopping halfway is the worst case scenario. Not starting is like the second worst case scenario, in my opinion, because it's two different looks. But to Rob's point, I agree. You can't move LA to Austin because then you have the same problem we were just talking about with the bubble. Those guys have employment. The only difference is when we talk about the arrows is because they're coming from another country and they want to play that, you know, I can see how they can try and, you know, they would have like, that's the only thing the arrows can do. You know, the arrows can only at this point set up in the United States to play because they can't be crossing the border constantly at this point. Right. That may change, but we're talking right now at this point. So they they have to do it versus the other teams like San Diego who says, we're going to practice in San Diego all week long and then just take the five-hour bus trip out to, to, hey, to Las Vegas. Listen, can't Gilchrist just, you know, dig into his pockets a little deeper, pay for enough, uh, you know, uh, vaccinations for every player in the league, and then we're good. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah don't even get started with a vaccination. Sign the check, man. Just sign here. the check. No, but no. I, but I, I, you, you can't, you can't do that. It, it would have to be, you know, I could say like right. for Rooney. Let's say Connecticut opened up and allowed to have fans. Okay, Connecticut, you can go to Hartford, you can go to Rensselaer Field where UConn plays football and feasibly do it because it's just a couple hours of drive. Right. But to say Rooney's going to go, though, when you talk yeah. about players not being able to uproot themselves and go into a bubble or relocate. You know, the, the league itself holds the contracts to the players and essentially they're contracted out or at least the, the rights league, yeah. are given to the teams to be able to have them in their squads. So let's take Austin and LA, for example, and I'm going to throw this one over to hear your thoughts on this, John. You think it might be feasible. Um, but this is, again, something that, that's been formulating in some of the MLR fan zone conversations and so forth. With the connection and the ties that Austin has with the Gilgronis and the Giltinis in LA being tied to the same owner, and the contracts being held for the players by the league. Why couldn't it be feasible that LA moves to Austin where they could share the facilities? They can then also share a similar roster, right? Because you would have players locally there that they could draw from. Remember, you've only got a 23-man squad that's announced. But if you have to be able to produce rugby, you could do so by drawing from some of those players that, that are not in that starting squad, right? And draw from the local rugby community to bring players up because who have been playing there because rugby has continued. Do you think that's something that might be a, a feasible, at least in part for at least a couple of teams? I think uh... – you know, if I were financially motivated as an owner, that would seem very streamlined, very efficient. My concerns have to do with the players' families, and that's always what it goes back to, players and staff who right. have already 
made sacrifices as long as the team with the deep pocket owner was taking care of those players and staffs and their families and speaking to them about it, like get their input. Are you willing to do this? Can we do, how would this work? And just be honest in conversation. Yeah, it's possible, right? You got, you just, you got the same owner, same relationships with a lot of the coaching staff, bring it all together, make it all work, put a product on the field. It's their first year. Uh, you know, so yeah, that may work. But again, I go back to, and there's, you know, there's some players available in Texas. So, you know, there's a lot of positives that could happen, but I always go back to the asterisk of you better be taking care of your people because I'll tell you as a fan, one of my chief concerns are if the teams in the league aren't taking care of their players, the fans may get skittish and the fans may be less supportive and the fans may be worried. At least I am. You know, my first thought when they canceled last season, I remember telling Tim Brown or something in the OGDC supporter clubs, keep my money, take care of the staff, take care of the players. I've already spent it, you know, and I think I'm not the only one that feels that way. So, yeah, efficient, move them there, but uh, they have to take care of their people. Right. And, you know, on that note, one of the things that we've always shared uh, on the show is how great a rugby community we have here in North America, that when events like that do happen, almost the first thought that comes to the mind is how does this affect the players? And on that note, I wanted to be able to also give the floor to Scott, who has learned some additional information that we wanted to share with you in regards to the players down at the Dallas Jackals organization in the absence of no play for 2021, the postponement of the Dallas Jackals season, there was an outcry, not only because of the disappointment that rugby will not take place as anticipated at the Dallas Jackals organization, but more so about the players and feeling for them. We wanted to be able to learn more, and Scott has something to share. So we talked about uh, we talked about this on the Dallas Jack- Jackals episode last week that there was a dispersal draft that the MLR has said uh, there's going to disperse the players via a draft and uh, America's Rugby News actually came out with a mock draft of that like immediately shout out to them they did great work on that as in a short, such a short, short time span what I learned today through contacts um, is that there will be no dispersal draft breaking news there will be no draft all the Dallas Jackals players will be considered free agents and free to sign with whoever they want to. Um, does that free them up? I guess so. I'm not sure. I'm not sure, you know, if if you know, a lot of the rosters are filled already. Remember, most teams are reporting on Monday, February 1st. So what, you know, what do you do if you're, you know, at a certain position that is there's only one of them on the field and they've already picked up three guys? You know, they picked up a starter, a backup, and a backup. You know, what are you going to do? So, again, there will be no dispersal draft per our sources for the Dallas Jackal players, all Dallas Jackal players are considered free agents. So let's let's discuss what a free agent is. For those that are not familiar with now how this changes the rights to a player, help us understand. Paint a picture, Scott. So pretty much they they literally their their contract is essentially null and void. Um, they can go talk to any team. Um, before, as we saw in this, this past off season, right, we had certain different types of people as, as far as when contracts ended, they were considered restricted. They were considered alumni because they're no longer in the league, things like that. These players literally have free reign to sign with an MLR team, whoever they want to. Right. So in the absence of the dispersal draft, it's basically every man for himself, unfortunately. And yes, one of the challenges is that most rosters have been filled. However, the upside and downside of this is that, well, yes, rosters are full. The downside in one part is many people that were proposed to be joining those teams might not be able to because of the travel bans that exist in and out of the U.S. and Canada. So it has made some cases very much more difficult to be able to get in. But it might be the silver lining for those players in Dallas who have the right to be able to play and work in the U.S., having already activated a visa or being U.S. citizen and or resident themselves. So it may still mean those players closer to home who have roots, so to speak, closer to to U.S. and Canadian soil will find an opportunity because gaps may exist. Rob, do you have any thoughts on that? Does that sound fair? And do you see that as an upside? Oh, boy. Um, it, it is to a degree an upside. And I think about some of the young guys that are not on standard contracts that are on the, you know, the provisional contracts or, or you know, 
hourly contracts, so to speak. And I think about the four four young guys that Dallas has. You know, Van Lannan, uh, Tellus, um, yeah, and uh, and um, um, of course Mooneyham, which is the number one pick. And then right. uh, and so um, you know, the I could see Tellus. He's a Houston guy. You know, very easily being able to contract with Houston. Uh, Van Lannan's a little tougher. He's up from the Midwest. He's over there in Whitewater. Um, so that might be a tough one for him. Um, so, you know, uh, Mooneyham, obviously, with the first pick might be well sought after. Uh, he has some ties to ATL, of course, because of life. So, you know, it's quite possible that he could find a, find a spot there. Um, so, um, you know, for those guys, it actually might work out because they might have some ties to some place that will that have they already have roots. Uh, but I feel bad for guys like, um, you know, Dakota O'Neill and guys, uh, guys like uh, Robbie Petzer you know, who stayed in the country in order to, you know, f- pursue another MLR contract. Right. Yeah. And we will stay on top of this as best we can. Of course, we promise to be able to cover it when we learn more news. Um, we take time to be able to, to figure out, you know, from several sources, not just from one. So we feel that when we have something to share, that at least it comes with some credibility and there's a few people close to us on the show um, individually and as a unit that we will trust to, to to share those opinions. And when we feel it's appropriate, we'll continue to share what we learn. We are staying in contact with the league. So make sure that, you know, if you want to continue learning more about what happens to the Dallas players, where they may end up, what their future may be, make sure that you like, follow, and share our content so others can learn about it. You can, of course, be updated and notified when a new video drops by following us on Facebook. You can be following us on Twitter and all our other social media under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod. Uh, ultimately, we have new episodes every Sunday and every Wednesday. So this has been a special episode on the Rugby Rant Podcast show. But before we head out, we'd like to be able to hand the microphone over to John to tell us, uh, who he thinks deserves a shout out. Any special message you want to send out to the world there, John, let us know. Yeah, before the shout out uh, regarding Dallas, just trying to be solution oriented, the league has I- an opportunity. The league has an opportunity to maybe raise the uh, number of players on each team, maybe raise the salary cap to allow those teams that desire to absorb players. It's just an opportunity. It costs the league nothing and it allows some uh, absorption maybe to happen. It allows for the point that uh, Scott talked about with if you have a positive COVID case, just a little asterisk there I thought might be helpful. What, sure. well, I want to build on that just for a moment. I know we're kind of over the hour mark, but this is Sorry. a important point. So to, to that point, though, I suppose one of the most critical questions would be, and I don't know the answer, I'm just putting it out there, whether before the decision was made to be able to postpone the season for Dallas, if they had already committed to paying their 500000 in salary cap or not. That's a big question that has not been answered and has probably not been yet considered. If so, those players can be taken care of quite easily. If not, we're in a different scenario. But, yeah. you know, that might be a conversation for another day. John, let us know what you think. Uh, take us out with your shout-out. All right, shout-out real quick. Mom and Dad for taking me to Australia when I was a teenager when Dad got stationed there. Big risk, moving halfway across the world to where I fell in love with rugby. My wife for tolerating my passion for a sport she can't comprehend along with a million other things that she gives me patience and grace in uh my sister for taking me to the first ogdc game uh and then the ogdc fans sue and ed parks uh randy and sophia white rice you know that we all kind of built and met at that first game which flowed into our all of us at the ogdc supporters organically like communicating uh throughout the off season and uh that's been great and then I'll, I'll just say at OGDC, the staff, people like Tim Brown, players like Max Lum, you know, being available to an old guy like me and giving me a time of day, uh, explaining things, you know, it's, it's really appreciated. And then one last thing for collegiate rugby. I think it's Minnesota. The coach there is Sean Lindersmith, I believe. His players have a 3.6 GPA. I think as a coach in collegiate rugby, like you're looking for – for that kind of thing, I think more than what's going on the field, what's going off the field's great. So shout out to them. Fantastic. Ty, real, real, great messages there. Yeah. Ty, real quick, shout out to Sue Parks too. She's a good friend of mine. But also, for those of you that don't know, John is actually an audio listener. He doesn't watch us live every day. So if you guys want to, we are on uh, Apple iTunes. Please rate, review, and subscribe. That helps us. It helps us get, get up there in the ranks. So please, if you're an audio listener, rate, review, and subscribe. 
Fantastic. Gentlemen, the time has come to be able to crown a winner for this round. Now, first off out of the block was uh, was John, who delivered some stellar points right up front. But, you know, he had the field wide open, so perhaps there was easy run. Then we had uh, Scott, who uh, built on top of that. Rob, of course, closed it out as the finisher. He is out on the wing there, um, although typically he's a lock. <laughs> but is he I'm a, a lock in for win? No, because he got the yellow. Eliminated is the answer. You're out. So it, it sits between uh, Scott and John. John, certainly you held your own amongst these uh, these boys here today, and I do appreciate you coming on as a super fan. I know that you said you were nervous. It did not show. Uh, we give you points yeah. definitely for being able to give a shout-out to, to your wife, and I think we should all do the same for putting up with us, right, gentlemen? Yeah. So let's let's get down to the important point. It's to find out who is the winner of this round, and I am going to give it – to Mr. Scott Ferrara. Yes. Mm. What Thank you, it was, you Well, the Packers lost, so we had to get some some solace in this week. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'll say if we had used my time clock, the hammer would not have gotten a yellow. Uh, oh, that's B- okay, that's BS. That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, look, John, you're welcome. You're a hammer, all you need is nails. <laughs> welcome back anytime. I need I need to maybe I need to invest in a proper stopwatch is what they're saying. You're gonna let him talk into this BS? Okay. Oh, right. you're talking okay. to do it every week. <laughs> just, I just what well, I'm just pointing out the fact that he asked you a simple question. Pick one team. You name you named the record. I didn't even get to name a team. And exactly. I'm just an old hard hitting prop who uh, couldn't make a ball go backwards. So I ran more laps than I did anything else in the one attempt I made at playing rugby in 1992. It was terrible. You know, so. Well, gentlemen, it has been awesome. This is, again, exactly why we do this. And we do it out of the great passion for the game that we all love so much. And as you know, here on the Rugby Rand, if you are a consistent viewer, we thank you for joining us for this episode as you have done for all the others. But our true message we want to be able to leave with you is that we love what we do and we do it because of you. And uh, we always try to keep the fan in mind and, of course, the players and the league itself. All of it is to promote, to help it grow because we at the Rugby Rand believe that we like to be able to grow rugby one fan at a time. And we do that with your help. So on behalf of myself, Ty Braga, Rob Hammerschmidt, Scott Ferrara, and John Fisser, we say thank you for watching this episode of the Rugby Rant Podcast Show, and we'll see you at the next one.